I was uh, I picked up my son Clayton from school uh, last week, and we were driving home, and we had the chance uh, to talk about all sorts of different things. And eventually, he asked, "Hey, Dad, are we going to sing Christmas songs on on Sunday?" And I said, "Well, you know, we're starting this series. It's called Christmas Notes, and it kind of uses a different Christmas song as a theme. So we'll probably sing at least one Christmas song, whichever song goes with it." And he asked, "Well, what songs are they?" And so we went through the songs, and and when I had, uh, told him one song, he he would start to sing that song. And, and he was doing pretty well until he, we got to O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And in a few weeks, we'll, we'll kind of focus on that uh, Christmas song a little bit and use it as a theme. But uh, he started to sing O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And it became very obvious very quickly that he knew that all the words to that song that he knew were O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. That was it. You know, he, I was trying to count the words in my head, and I couldn't do it. I'm a preacher. I'm not good at math. So like four words, right? He, he knew those words, and that was the whole song that he knew. And it was also apparent that he wasn't entirely sure uh, what the melody of that song was supposed to be. It was sort of in and out, and I don't have a good ear or anything, but I, I knew that's not it, bud. You know, you got to try again. And, and uh, you've maybe been driving down the road, listening to the radio, and a song comes on. Maybe it's a song from when you were in high school, right? And you remember that song. You start singing the words to that song. And as long as you're alone, everything is cool. Because you can sing whatever you want, and you are the star of the show. You start to invite other people into the car, and then they start saying... No, that's, you know, those aren't the lyrics, right? You can't just make up whatever lyrics you want to that song. It doesn't work that way. And, and that's even true of Christmas songs. Sometimes we mishear the lyrics. I found a video where some folks had misheard the lyrics to a Christmas song. I promise you there's no political overtones. I'm not making a political statement with this or anything. I just thought it was sort of funny. Have a look. So sometimes we can mishear the lyrics of the song, and, and then the meaning of the song is not what the, the songwriter intended. We've changed the meaning of that song. And, and as I, I was reflecting on Christmas music, there's one Christmas song where we've sort of misunderstood a little bit the meaning of the song. That's Joy to the World. The, the songwriters of Joy to the World never intended for this song to be a, a Christmas song. It's sort of in America, it caught on that way, and now we, we sing it every Christmas season. We think of Joy to the World as this Christmas anthem, but it was never really intended for that purpose. It, it's from a, a section of Scripture in the 98th Psalm that we don't often associate with Christmas. But as I read through that 98th Psalm, I thought, man, these are the themes of Christmas. This is the truth of Christmas. And, and just like we might misunderstand or mishear a song or use it in a way that it wasn't intended, 
intended for. Sometimes we do that same thing with Christmas. We kind of misunderstand or, or we focus on the wrong things at Christmas and we just miss the real truth of Christmas. This Christmas season, we can absolutely focus on the real truth of Christmas. And I think in Psalm 98, it teaches us three truths that will help us to focus on the real meaning, the real focus of Christmas this season. If you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to open them up to the 98th Psalm. If you're using kind of the old-fashioned book, that's just about in the middle. So if you, you turn about to the middle of your Bible, you're going to come to the book of Psalms, and I just need you to find the 98th Psalm. Uh, there's an outline on the back of your bulletin this morning. It'll take you to a page number. If there's some Bibles scattered around on the chair backs, it'll take you to a page number in those Bibles. If you're using the Wallula Christian Church app, now all this information is there. So you'll have the outline from the uh, welcome packet. You'll have the scripture reference. However you're accessing God's word this morning, why don't we find Psalm 98? We're going to take a look at these nine verses that make up the 98th Psalm and consider three truths that help us to focus on the big truth of Christmas. Psalm 98, this is what God's word says. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. For he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and the sound of melody, with trumpets and the sound of the horn. Make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. Let the sea roar and all that fills it, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together before the Lord, for He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. All right, I think three truths are, are present here in, in the 98th Psalm. Truth number one is that Jesus rescues us. Jesus rescues us. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. You know, I thought this was a, a, an interesting way to begin this section of Scripture as we're, we're beginning a series that we're kind of focusing and thinking a little bit about Christmas music. Uh, you know, maybe a new song and Christmas music don't necessarily go together. I found myself in the middle of a conversation that I was not equipped to have in the middle of our staff meeting, uh, they were talking about this Christmas song from Mariah Carey. And I was like, what Christmas song is that? And they're trying to describe this Christmas song. And I'm just so dense with this stuff. I'm not good with name that tune or the artist. I'm just, I don't play that game well. And, and so they're talking about this song and, and they're talking about the fact that this song has sort of caught on as a, as a Christmas classic. And it's the newest Christmas classic. If you can have a new classic, this is the song. All I Want for Christmas is You by Mariah Carey. And the odd thing is, is that it was the 25th anniversary of this song. That's why it was in the news and we were having this conversation. Maybe when we think of a new song, Christmas music doesn't come to the forefront of our mind. It's not the first thing we think of. We, we often sing songs that we've sang for years and years and years. We sing Christmas songs because our, our grandparents sang those Christmas songs and their grandparents sang those Christmas songs. They're songs that are sort of steeped in tradition. And so I thought, well, if God wants us to sing a new song, maybe we ought to be writing new Christmas songs. But he goes on, the, the psalmist goes on to say, for he has done marvelous things. 
for he has done marvelous things. And as we just sort of begin running down this psalm of praise and worship, uh, it's not so much that God wants us to, to pin some new melody or, or to write some new lyrics to a song, but he wants us to remember the good things that he has done for us and to praise him anew again and again and again for the marvelous things that he has done. We were decorating our Christmas tree, and uh, my daughters and my wife were hanging up the ornaments. I was, I was supervising from the couch and watching how it was unfolding. And, and every time one of the uh, girls would put up an ornament, I'd say, oh, I like that one. That's a good one. And every, I like that one. That's a good one. And Zoe, my youngest daughter, finally said, Dad, you say that every time. Just you know, leave it alone. Just stop it. And I said, well, I really, I like every one of these. And it's not so much because they're sort of fun ornaments, but, but mostly it's because they remind me of either a person or a place, uh, some memory from uh, you know, Christmas gone by. And, and I remember Remember those marvelous things that God has done in my life as, as those ornaments are hung on the tree. And so even to Zoe's chagrin, I kept saying, oh, I like that one. You know, I like that one. We can remember the marvelous things that God has done in our lives. His right hand and His holy arm have worked salvation. The Lord has made known His salvation. He's revealed His righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. We should remember, even as we're hanging those ornaments and we're saying, oh, I like that one, and we're remembering the marvelous things he has done, we should remember that sometimes it's hard for us to to focus and to think about God's faithfulness. We, we should remember that as, you know, those Christmas lights are hung, that for some folks this year, those bright lights remind us of a light that has gone out in our lives this last year. We ought to remember that as we walk through those crowds of people that uh, at the mall or the shopping center, that, you know, those crowds of people are reminding some folks that they don't really have anybody to go home to, that they're just feeling awfully lonely this season should remember as the kids line up to visit Santa Claus in the mall that somebody's walking by and, and seeing those you know, hordes of kids thinking only about that empty crib at home. They're, they're remembering as they see the presents bought and wrapped and given away their own overdrawn accounts. Sometimes an author and preacher, Max Lucado, says that Christmas, this Christmas holiday is more like a Christmas holiday for some of us. It reminds us of the whole that has kind of developed in our lives and we struggle to kind of get to that point where we can remember the marvelous things he has done. But even if we're in a place where it's difficult for us to remember kind of the physical blessings, we're kind of experiencing that Christmas holiday instead of holiday this season, we know that God has done more than we can imagine, that he sent his son Jesus into this world to rescue us. The Lord has made known his salvation. Uh, In John's own unique Christmas story in John chapter 1, we read in verse 14 that the Word, that's Jesus, has become flesh and made His dwelling among us. That God entered this world as a baby, that He put skin on, that He became a a person, a a human, a man, uh, so that we might understand who God is and see the love that He has. That's the drastic lengths that God would go to make known to us His salvation. He's revealed His righteousness in the sight of the nations. We, We 
we know and the whole, everyone ha- knows that, that they are, are not God, that they fall short of His glory, that each one of us is a sinner, and that, that there's only one answer for that sin. There's only one remedy, and that's the gift of God and, and through grace and Jesus of eternal life and a relationship with Him. One author has described this, this feeling that we all have of understanding that we fall short of God's glory as as uh, everyone's double trouble, that every one of us is in double trouble, that we have a sinful heart, and, and based on our, our spiritual background or maybe lack thereof, we, we all would describe that, that uh, sinful heart in a different way, that uh, idea of falling short of God's glory. We might describe that as a whole in our, our lives somehow or, or in some different way, but it, it's the same uh, first part of this double trouble that we are sinners and we fall short of the glory of God and the second part of that double trouble is that with that sin with that separation from God comes guilt and all the all the weight and baggage that goes with that sin and every one of us this Christmas is in desperate need of the double cure that Jesus provides for that double trouble when when Peter's audience at Pentecost he's preaching a a message uh, uh, says Jesus was entered this world at Christmas that he grew up and he he taught and he ministered and he, he ultimately went to the cross on our behalf and he was buried in a tomb and he rose on that third day and that, that crowd was responsible just as we are responsible as being separated from God through our own sin for Jesus' crucifixion. And, and the crowd responded by saying, what do we need to do? They're essentially asking, what's this cure? We, we need a cure for this trouble that we're in and, and what is it? And, and Peter responded in Acts chapter 2 verse 38 by saying, repent and be baptized every one of you for the forgiveness of your sins in the gift of the Holy Spirit. There's that double cure. Because of the price Jesus paid, because he went to the cross and paid a price that we all owe, because he was buried in the tomb, and because he rose on that third day, he offers us forgiveness for the sin that's in our lives. And he offers newness through a life uh, with the Holy Spirit as we begin a relationship with Him in baptism and the Holy Spirit moves in, then we can experience this newness in our life. We can receive this Christmas that double cure that every one of us is in desperate need of for the double trouble that we're in. Jesus rescues us. It's the first truth of Christmas. Jesus rescues us. The second truth in Psalm 98 is that Jesus deserves our worship. Let's look at verse 4. Make a joyful noise. We're going to get to that in a minute. Uh, To the Lord, all the earth. Make a joyful noise uh, to the Lord, all the earth. Here is this remarkable statement that everyone worships something that we all ought to make this joyful noise to the Lord, that all the earth is going to choose to worship something. I was having a conversation with a a young uh, family, a set of parents who were asking about, you know, what activities maybe they should start with their their little kids, and they were trying to decide between, you know, band or or sports or whatever it was, and they were asking, how did you make that choice, and and how did you know what your kids would like? And maybe I have a unique perspective on this. I may be the wrong person to ask, all right? Because I, I've always just thought, you know, little kids, when they're, they're little, they don't really know what they like. You know, you, you kind of tell them what they like. And, and nine t- times out of ten, whatever the parents make a big deal about, they're going to kind of catch on. Now, that might not last a lifetime, right? They, you know, might not stick with the trombone all through college or what have you. But uh, if you make a big deal about it as a parent, 
there's a pretty good chance that that young child is going to say, yeah, this is pretty cool, because the important people in their life are making a big deal about it. I thought, man, we sure do that at Christmas, don't we? We make a big deal about Christmas. You know, we make a big deal about maybe family gatherings. We make a big deal about decorations. We make a big deal about, you know, presents. We make a big deal about traditions that, that we have or checklists that we need to go through. And, and I just thought, what would happen this Christmas if, if all of that is good, all of that is fine, but what would happen this Christmas if we absolutely ensured, if we absolutely made certain that we were making a big deal about Jesus this Christmas? That's really what this idea of worship is. It's an old English word that literally means worth it. And so when we worship something, we're ascribing worth to that, whatever it is. And, and the psalmist says, everybody, the whole earth is going to worship. And we all worship something. We all make a big deal about something. And this Christmas, the, the truth of Christmas says that we ought to be making a big deal about Jesus, that he is absolutely worth our worship. The psalmist goes on to say, make a joyful noise, right? We ought to, we ought to be verbally worshiping worshiping and praising Jesus. The, the, the name of Jesus ought to come out of our mouth in, in ways that honor him and, and express our, our appreciation for what he has done and in our conversations. We should break forth into joyous song and sing praises. We can, should verbally worship him and sing praises to the Lord with the lyre and with the lyre the sound of melody, with the trumpets and the sound of the horn. Make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. So our words ought to express worship worship to Jesus and our actions ought to express worship to Jesus. There's just something amazing that happens when we worship. When we worship him, some significant things occur. When we combine those two things, to worship with our, our words, you know, out of the overflow of our heart, our mouth speaks. And so when, when that's overflowing from in us, when we've dedicated ourselves to making a big deal about Jesus and then that's expressed through our words and that's expressed through our actions, some really powerful things happen. The first thing that happens is that the enemy, you know, you, you, maybe we don't want to think too much about spiritual warfare at Christmas time, but the Christmas story is filled with it where, where God sends the Magi off in the other direction, that he saves that baby Jesus, that maybe two-year-old Jesus from uh, you know, his armies uh, slaughtering two-year-olds in Bethlehem. Uh, the Christmas story is filled and all through the angels speaking uh, to, to Joseph and encouraging him to continue to marry. Uh, Mary. The, the, the Christmas story is filled with spiritual warfare and when we worship the enemy stays away he flees james chapter uh, 4 verses 7 to 8 says it like this submit yourselves therefore to god resist the devil and he will flee from you draw near to god and he will draw near to you cleanse your hands you sinners and purify your hearts you double-minded i don't spend a lot of time reading the message paraphrase of the bible but i love the way uh, the message describes this set of verses here in james chapter 4 it says so let god work his will in you yell aloud no to the devil and watch him scamper. Say a quiet yes to God and he'll be there in no time. Say a yell a loud no to the devil and watch him run away and quietly ask God for his protection and he will draw near every time. That's really the second powerful thing that happens when we worship is that God draws near. 
1915, uh, World War I was raging. In fact, 1915 had been a terrible year. There had been uh, battles and, and war had, had just intensified. There was the first use of, of gas weapons and warfare. It was ugly. Uh, if you've studied World War I at all, you know that it was a, it was a battle between trenches. And so you'd have one side in a trench in the, separated by this area known as no man's land. And then uh, the enemy was in a trench on the other side. 1915, uh, 1914 rather, there was this famous uh, cessation of warfare on Christmas Day. You, you are familiar with the story. It was, it was such an amazing thing, but 1915 had been such an uh, increase in, in the severity of battle that there was a command from both the British army and the German army that what happened on Christmas Day in 1914 would not occur in 1915 wouldn't happen. They had to stay focused on the goal, and that was war. And they had to stay focused on that. But somewhere along the day, somebody missed the message in the trenches. And early on Christmas morning, the German soldiers started to sing these carols. And the, the British soldiers heard across no man's land that, you know, what they were hearing weren't, you know, mortars and shells, but Christmas songs of worship. And so they started to respond with their own carols. And this battle of worship went on and on until the Christmas songs were replaced with shouts of, come over here, by both sides, come over here. And they went and they made that no man's land uh, a soccer field for the day, this huge soccer game of you know, 50 people on a side. There's no real goals, but just this play that happened this coming together of enemies that occurs all because of worship. When we worship, the enemy runs away. We can keep uh, Satan at arm's reach for sure. And God tends to draw near. When we just whisper his name, he shows up. And so what happens when we yell that loud no to Satan and sing those uh, joyful noises to the Lord? Well, God shows up and he draws near. Powerful things happen when we worship. Uh, Jesus deserves our worship. It's the second truth of, of Christmas that Psalm 98 teaches us. Uh, truth number three that uh, Psalm 98 teaches us is that Jesus is coming. Look at verses 7 through uh, 9 here. Let the sea roar and all that fills it, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together. Sort of weird verses when you think about it. I mean, rivers are clapping and hills are singing. And why in the world are these natural you know, pieces of nature uh, proclaiming worship to God? It reminds me of another holiday. Uh, we, we call it Palm Sunday. Do you remember that story? Jesus is entering into Jerusalem on the week of his death and, and crowds have gathered and they're shouting Hosanna and they're laying down palm branches. They're worshiping Jesus as he rides in to a Jerusalem on the back of this young donkey and, and they're worshiping him in such an exuberant right way, shouting joyful noises to the Lord that the religious leaders of the day say, hey, Jesus, you ought to tell your disciples, tell this crowd to stop that. Do you, do you remember Jesus' response? He said, if they stop praising me, 
then these rocks will cry out. These, these pieces and parts of nature will sing out that Jesus so deserves our worship that, that something, someone, somewhere is going to worship him. And, and Jesus' coming certainly teaches us that. And I think what we're reminded of here in verses 7, 8, and 9 of Psalm 98 is not Jesus' first coming, that first Christmas when it was sort of stealthy. You know, he came in under the radar. Nobody really expected for the king of kings to be born a baby in a manger in Bethlehem to a couple of peasant parents. It was unexpected. Everyone who discovered it said, oh man, yeah, those angels weren't lying. This is really what we, we see and who it is. And they weren't expecting that. But Jesus' second coming won't be undercover. It won't be a, a surprise before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth, verse 9 says, he will judge the world with righteousness and, and the peoples with equity. Uh, one of my favorite sections of scripture is in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 begins by the apostle Paul says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who through, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He had every right to be in paradise, to be in heaven, but he made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. He entered this world at Christmas. And being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. That's the big point of Christmas, that Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and ultimately to offer his life as a ransom for you and for me. Therefore, verse 9 says, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. When Jesus returns, every knee will bow and every tongue confess. It will be clear and apparent to who he is and, and what his purpose is. The author C.S. Lewis described it like this, God will invade, and when that happens, it's the end of the world. When the author walks on the stage, the play is over. For this time, it'll be God without disguise, something so overwhelming that it will uh, strike either irresistible love or irresistible whore into every creature. It'll be too late to choose your side. It'll be the time to see which side we have really chosen. I don't often think of Jesus coming as an in invasion, but but it really sort of fits, especially with Psalm 98, where this motif in the Psalms, we, we often read about this sort of warrior king, that God is, is here and he'll conquer his enemies, that he will provide protection and shelter for his people. And, and we see that same picture in Jesus' second coming, that he invades this world, that every tongue will confess and every knee will bow and know that Jesus is Lord of Lords and King of Kings. You know, that song, Joy to the World, is interesting. It was written by Isaac Watts, and it was published, that poem, Joy to the World, was published in 1719. They often sang those words to a, a different hymn altogether and in the early, uh, mid-1700s, after it kind of gained a little popularity. It wasn't until uh, 1836 that Lowell Mason... Uh, living in Boston, halfway around the world from Watts, uh, where he lived in Europe, and, and uh, serving in Boston, uh, he had written several songs, and he, he'd written one song that he called 
Antioch, after the the town where Paul and Barnabas set out on their missionary journey in the New Testament. And, And so Mason had written this song and he was looking for words to go with that song when he came across this poem written and published in 1719 by Isaac Watts, Joy to the World. And he combined those words with his uh, music that he had written in 1836. And then uh, along in 1911, a singer first recorded that song on a Christmas album. And it's from that Christmas album, this weird kind of convoluted story that Joy to the World enters the uh, American culture as this Christmas anthem that we know it today, this Christmas song that we we think of as always having been a Christmas song took hundreds and hundreds and thousands of miles separated by hundreds of years to become that. You know, God's timing is often not our timing. And this Christmas season, I I, I know a couple things. I know that there's no better timing for you to say yes to him, uh, to acknowledge that Jesus rescues us and every one of us is in need of of that Savior and to say yes to him. There's no better time to start worshiping him. There's no better time to realize that, that Jesus' invasion is coming, that he's on his way. Uh, We don't know when that'll be. Our timing is not God's timing. God's timing is not our timing, but we can worship him this Christmas season. Let's stand and do that right now.